Hey, what's good? This is Rich, and you're listening to Paychecks and Balances, where it's all about what's possible personally, professionally, and financially, especially when you have the right balance in life. And speaking of balance, I have a lot of travel that's coming up over the next few weeks. Next week in particular, I'm going to be in Nashville for the Podcast Movement Conference, co-leading a couple of new attendee orientation sessions, and also a solo talk on Effectively hosting a podcast. So that said, I will not be releasing a new episode next week, but I will be back the following. And I have a really good feeling about how this conference is going to go, especially compared to past years, assuming this conference does happen, assuming nothing COVID comes up last minute. I've got a really good feeling about how this week is going to go overall. So I'm going to speak that into existence, put that into the atmosphere. And when we come back with the next episode, Hopefully, I'll have some good news. And if not good news, I know that I'm going to have some reflections. And one event that I'm really looking forward to later this year is the Economy Conference in Cincinnati, where I'm going to be speaking. And you're going to hear a lot more about that in today's episode. But before getting to that, it's that time of the year where I need the PNB family to show up and show out by voting for Paychecks and Balances in the Plutus Awards. And if you're not familiar, this is the only award show that I can think of that's geared toward personal finance content creators. And in the past, Paychecks and Balances has won uh, Best Generational Financial Literacy Content, Best Millennial or Generation Z Content. And I would love to see the podcast win an award this year. So to nominate Paychecks and Balances, go to paybal.co slash nominate. You can also click the link that's in the show notes. And once you go to the page to nominate, all you have to do is enter paychecksandbalances.com for each category. And I've mentioned three of those, best personal finance podcast, best content for underserved communities, and best generational financial literacy content are just a few of the ones that I think are relevant, but I will leave the rest of that up to you. Appreciate you supporting the show. Please go vote. Help make me and this PNB thing a finalist once again. All right. So I mentioned the Economy Conference, and today I'm joined by the founder who is making a return to the podcast, what feels like eons later, Diana Miriam. And when she first appeared on PNB, she had just kicked off Economy and things quickly got crazy in the world due to, well, I mean, you know. And so this time we're talking about her financial journey, a cool new gig, some of the key mindset shifts and lessons learned, and some actionable tidbits to take with you personally, professionally, and financially. Oh, and by the way, this episode was recorded a couple of months ago. So I know we mentioned some things about the state of COVID, and that's not what the state of COVID is today. And also, I realized that I had a few episodes that I recorded consecutively where I had the wrong setting selected on my mixer board. Boo to me for that, but I'm admit it, own my faults. And so there are a few episodes, and this is probably be the last one where uh, I sound like I'm in a closet and I sound all modulated and weird. So sorry about that, but it does not take away from this awesome conversation that you're going to hear with Diana. So here's that chat, and I hope you enjoy. Diana, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Rich. And interesting fact for the people, this was your first pod appearance, I believe, in the whole podcast game. And I know that yes. you've gone on to do a ton of uh, amazing and awesome stuff, even in the podcast space. And now here we are. So what 
has been going on for you. That it's just crazy to think that this was my first stop on the podcast parade. And I guess that was the fall, no, the summer of 2019 we recorded. And I was just a total noob. Like I'm here to redeem myself, actually. <laughs> I was so nervous. Like, nobody go back and listen to it. We're going to do it over right now. Uh, but yeah, that was my first one. And I just am so appreciative of the opportunity. Since then, I've probably been on close to 50 other podcasts. More than me. And wow. yeah, and now I host my own show which is Optimal Finance Daily. This show has actually been around for about five years and the producers of the show were looking for a new host. And when I saw it, I was just like, oh, this is for me. And so I applied for the job and it's basically a narration style podcast where I am reading blog posts from popular personal finance bloggers and then offering my own commentary on it. So I like to say all these bloggers wrote these amazing songs and I get to perform the covers. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the way I think of it. I didn't know you were even interested in doing anything in the podcast space beyond kind of going on shows to promote what you're doing for the conference, which we're going to talk about. So when you say something like, I knew that was for me, I'm like, how did you know that was for you? Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, so much has changed since we last spoke. And I you know, it's funny how it turns, how it kind of relates to personal finance because people talk about like having financial bandwidth to to deal with the obstacles life throws at you, but life throws you just as many opportunities as it does obstacles. And Ooh. so that's what I've noticed in my own life. I call my emergency fund actually my emergency slash opportunity fund because things are thrown at me all the time that I didn't even know I wanted until I saw it. So what happened with the podcast is the producers put um, a call out for a new host up on the FinCon community Facebook page. And when I saw it, I was like doom scrolling one night. I wasn't even like feeling that great. You know, I'm sitting there doom scrolling. What is doom scrolling? <laughs> what does that even mean? I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't interact that much on social media, but like uh, every now and then if I'm like not in a great mood, I'll just sit there and kind of doom scroll as I call it. And uh, I come across this post and it was the producers looking for a new host of the show. And it was like everything in my body just said, that's yours. And I just like wrote them a really long email explaining why I felt like I was the perfect person for this job. And I auditioned for it and I got it. And it's been an incredible uh, journey with them. I'm like almost 300 episodes in because it's a daily show. Yo, that is a lot. 300 episodes strong. And so when you were, I guess, in the process or doing the audition for it, is it here's a blog post, just read this or do you or is someone sitting there watching you read it at the time or was no, it more so of it? Yeah, it was. So it's funny because many months before that, Joe Saul Sihai at Stacking Benjamins actually reached out to me and just asked me to narrate um, an article because they asked for people to narrate articles that they can comment on. And so I sent him, I did it for him and I sent him this recording and I actually used that recording to uh, like in my initial email to Optimal Finance Daily. So I showed them that I could, um, you know, narrate things and not make it sound boring or monotonous. And then they, uh, as part of the audition process, they sent me, it was actually a Mr. Money Mustache post, which that that's the blogger that got me into this whole space. Uh, so it felt like and Mr. A, Money a Mustache is because there are a lot of people who may not be familiar with who that sure. is if they're not in the five space. 
So Mr. Money Mustache is like one of the most popular bloggers in the FIRE space, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And he started his blog and I guess it was 2011. I found it in 2015. And that's kind of what got me started in uh, taking my finances seriously. Uh, but they sent me one of his articles. I I remember recording it like two or three times because I don't know how to edit. So I just wanted it to be like as like clean as I could get it. And yeah, after they heard that, they said it was a no brainer. It was like really flattering. <laughs> ah, isn't that awesome? People are like your voice. Perfect for what we need. Yeah. It's like, wow, yeah. awesome. So that worked out. Yeah. And then on top of that, isn't it awesome when you apply for something and you actually hear back? Yes. Especially oh, yeah. in this world where it's just like you, you, you're so used to and not, not, you specifically, but we're so used to seeing things just go into a black hole because I think as we probably know, most gigs, they're through referrals mm-hmm. or uh, often what I call the hidden job network. And, and you've probably been a part of that too, where something doesn't even get posted and someone's like, yep. you know someone or, or someone tries to send something your way. So to be able to apply, follow the steps and hear back and get told you're awesome, that just feels like, like to me, I'm like, that, that has to feel extra. Val- and maybe validating is not the right word, but that's the word I'm going to use. That has to be like extra validating. Like, yes, I knew this was the right thing to do. 100%. It was very validating. And I don't know how this might apply to other people listening to this, but one of the things I did, and I also don't know how impactful this was, but I wanted this so bad that like my friends in the Phi community, I asked them to go on that Facebook post and like recommend me. So like <laughs> there were a bunch of people that commented on the post, like, you know who you should think about. <laughs> so I don't know how, what kind of impact that had, but um, we figured it was worth a try. I'm going to turn that into an actionable nugget because it, it ties to something that I advise people to do on LinkedIn, especially when you're, when you're looking for new work. So, so it was already an actionable nugget and I'm a just piggyback up on that because you have set it the stage for me. And uh, what I tell people to do is when they're looking for a new opportunity to actually let people, e- even before they're looking just proactively, you should have an idea of what it is that you want to do next. And if you see something, you know, you, you should think of people that you can contact at the company to learn more about the, re- and not even just have people submit your resume, but actually like learn more, like what is it like to work there and ask you, and ask some of those questions. What I see a lot of people do is try to reach out to folks and sell themselves into a company as opposed to using that as a learning opportunity to get the information they need to strengthen their application. But all that said, I have found it very helpful when people are thinking about looking to kind of like ring the alarm for their network and say, hey, uh, I'm open to new roles. Because what I've actually found is that uh, sometimes someone may just see something even on social media. So there was uh, somebody who was that they posted on Twitter that uh, that they were looking to apply to a role at Google. That just happened to hit my timeline because someone that follows me knew that I worked there and they knew this person. And so they connected us. I ended up talking to this person, referring them, and they ended up getting an informational interview. But And that never, or excuse me, they ended up getting a formal interview. And that does not happen unless they take the step of actually like, putting themselves out there. So I, I do think there's there's something to that. Now, I have to pick it. I know this podcast isn't about this topic, but this is so good. I got to tell you a story of this also playing out it, from what I've seen. I The only person I ever hired where like I was the person making the decision on the hire, um, it was someone to take... I was 
kind of moving over to a different role and I needed someone to take over my job and I would still be like working with them very closely. Now, this guy was like 110% qualified. He applied for the job and HR completely overlooked his application. I still don't understand why because he was like the most qualified person we could have hired. And But what he did is he reached out to one of my colleagues where they had a mutual connection. And that colleague had said to me like, hey, has this resume come across your desk yet? So completely went around the like HR process. And I looked at this resume and said, no, but I don't understand why because he's perfect. And I had been interviewing for like three months because I just really had like my sights on this like perfect person. I was like... I was a little, maybe I was a little too demanding of what I was looking for, but he came in for an interview and it was like, I could have not been more sure that he was the guy. And he answered every question, like exactly what I was looking for. And as soon as he walked out after that first interview, I called HR and I said, we have to make him an offer today. Like we cannot let this guy get away. Now, if he didn't go to that colleague where he had a mutual connection, I don't know if we ever would have hired him. And he's like, seriously, one of the best colleagues I've ever worked with. So yeah, you got to do the networking guys. Yeah. And you've got to take that intentional action. I think is the big part of it because a lot of people, you know, I'll, I'll throw self in there where things like ego get in the way and you don't want to go ask people for things. And then we're also in a different time than a decade ago, where if you put out that you were looking, it would be like, oh, like you're letting people know you're looking like, are you actually that good? Like, you know, yeah. I, the, the, I, how come people aren't knocking down your inbox trying to get to you? Whereas now, just given what's happened over the past Oh, 10 or 11 years, we've had a recession. We had stuff that, that's happened since then. And I think that's that's turned a bit. Whereas now people are, uh, I think people are a lot more willing to, uh, take, to take chances, see opportunities, put themselves out there. And also people are just more understanding that like a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have died. So let's be a little bit more yeah. kind and understanding toward each other. And I, I do inherently believe that at the end of the day, the majority of humans want to be helpful to other people. So 100%. So uh, that is a, a, an, an awesome example of uh, how to put yourself out there and, and position yourself for success on the professional side of things. I know that you also had to do a little bit of scrambling last year to position yourself, given that COVID happened and the conference was supposed to be going down. And like, I, I know like you just missed it. Well, that may sound dramatic. So I'm going to let you tell the story because you, you didn't sure. end up actually missing anything. Right. So let's take a couple steps back to for people who might not have heard the first episode I was on. So I created this conference called the Economy Conference and it's economy with an M-E at the end, not an M-Y because apparently I think I'm clever. So anyway, uh, this conference is really, it's actually been described as a party about money, which I love because I wanted to create something that wasn't like a stuffy financial workshop where you're coming in with your like Excel spreadsheets and walking out with a financial plan. Like I wanted this to be about inspiration and community. It was, it, it really has a vibe to it. You know, I focused a lot on like production and lighting and music and, uh, and the speakers themselves are as entertaining as they are informative. Like it's just a party. 
So I spent about 20 months planning this event, and it was scheduled for March 7th of 2020. Now, during the planning phase, there's no way I could have anticipated that like the apocalypse was upon us and <laughs> everything was going to get shut down. I really feel like I dodged a bullet. It, it happened literally one week before everything shut down. Uh, we had it at the University of Cincinnati. We had 250 people come. And yeah, I just, I think it's, I just got really lucky that I didn't have to cancel it. And uh, it is, we're planning the next one is scheduled for November of this year. Okay. So November, 2021 in person, the way things are trending now, it looks like, cause I got my second shot. Yep. Everyone else. I, I Yeah. It's looking good. And actually, I was just on the University of Cincinnati is the venue. We do it in the student center. It's just like the perfect venue for um, an event like this. They have a huge hall where we've got capacity for 700 people. And it's like the perfect setup to do these kind of TED Talk style main stage speeches. Um, But then on that same floor, there's a ton of classrooms where we do breakout sessions. So not only are you learning from the main stage speakers, but you also have the opportunity to get access to the knowledge in the room because there's a lot of people that come to the economy conference that are doing pretty incredible things with their finances. So we get to learn from each other with with these breakout sessions. And even on the UC website, it talked about like their fall semester. They're planning to be fully in person. Um, and so that's what we're shooting for. However, it's a big unknown, right? Like we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. So what I've done is I have a backup date for March 2022. It's March 19th and 20th, 2022. So if we happen to have to push it back, we already have that date solidified. And I'm making the call for that by September 1st. So by September 1st, I think we'll have a pretty good idea if it's going to be able to you know, happen or not. So I'm urging people um, to you know, buy your ticket now, but don't get your um, flight and accommodations until after September 1st when we make that call. And in terms of virtual options, because I know a lot of in-person events are pivoting to virtual or pivoting to a hybrid event. I actually have decided not to do that. And the reason is because economy got my is attention. All about, I was like, oh. Yeah. Uh, economy is all about human connection and inspiration. And honestly, I'm not sure I can give that to you through a screen. If you're most interested in the main stage speeches, I got you. I actually professionally record all of those speeches and I have them up on my YouTube channel. So if that's the main thing you're interested uh, in yes. seeing, like I'll give that to you for style. free. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if if you're interested in the community aspect of it and the inspiration that you can get when you're in the room with people doing incredible things with their finances, I'd encourage you to actually come in person to the event. I just, I love in-person events. I can tell you that most of my friends today are people that I've met at these types of in-person events and the spontaneity of, you know, you're standing on the line for the bathroom and then you have this amazing conversation with the person sitting, you know, standing in front of you. I just don't know that I can replicate that vibe through a screen and I'm just not going to bother trying, honestly. Yeah, I appreciate the candor around that. And let's talk about, so there's a lot of things we weren't supposed to talk about today that we are going to talk about, <laughs> but let's let's talk about conferences for a second because I totally agree with you. I think about the fact that we're even on this call, everything, everything about this podcast, the fact that we're on this call, uh, probably even like the daily optimum uh, finance, like all, all of that is like a result of the networks and connections that we've yep. built from going to these various conferences. So 
economy is just one. There's also FinCon for the personal finance creator community. There's podcast movement. There's a lot of stuff that's that's out there. And I know that as we're getting back to whatever this normal is, that uh, not everyone is, is going to want to travel and not everyone's going to want to get them and put themselves out there, which I totally get. I'll, I'll be out there with my cool PB mask on, which I still got to get made for <laughs> these various things that I'm, I'm going to. But I've just found like some of these connections because I'm also someone who thought that I wouldn't make new friends after a certain age. I thought mm-hmm. like my college friends would be it. And the amount of people, especially during COVID. So there are people that coincidentally that I haven't seen in person in a long time. I'm finding that uh, I'm developing like true, real friendships with a lot of the people from these various communities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple things I'll say about just the power of in-person events and really the inspiration for creating the Economy Conference. There is an event that I go to. Um, actually, next year is going to be their last year, but it's called the World Domination Summit, which sounds crazy, like it's produced by Pinky and the Brain or something like that, right? But it's it's this incredible event, and they have main stage speakers. They have you know meetups with other attendees. They get about like 2,000 people to go, 1,500, 2,000, something like that. And I've gone for four years and it's really a collection of people living very unconventional lives and then sharing, you know, their stories around that. And every time I go, I leave feeling like my life is so full of possibility. Like I just leave with this, with this jolt of inspiration and it just makes me want to go out and do something because I was surrounded by people doing really incredible things. And when I thought about, you know, and I know we'll talk a little bit about how I got into the fire movement stuff, but when I had asked myself, what would I do with my time if I didn't have to worry about making money because I'm financially independent, it, it really kind of shifted my focus away from like, what, what do I need to do to pay my bills to what do I want to create? What do I want to put out in the world that I can be really proud of? And I wanted to create a party about money. You know, I wanted other people to feel about their money the way that I feel about my life when I go to World Domination Summit. And so it was a huge inspiration for me. And then another thing I'll say about the, the people that you get to meet at these kind of events There was this quote that I saw the other day that I loved where it's an anonymous quote, but whoever said it said, if you look at your inner circle and you're not inspired, you don't have a circle, you have a cage. And that just really impacted me because I I saw for myself when I started making friends with people that were really financially minded, it's like my own personal finance journey just took off. You know, you don't realize how much you're influenced by the people around you. And when you can be intentional about that by going to these kind of events that we're discussing, um, for me personally, it's changed everything. So you just said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I typically do, Rich. (laughs) You just... You just said a, a lot. You talked about intentionality. I thought you were going to go the, the route of a different quote, I think, by I think it's by Jim Rome about being the average of the five people that you oh, associate yeah. with. But this one is actually more important. You don't, or more poignant, you don't have a circle, you have a cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, uh, that can also be tough too, because let's say that the people that you're rolling with today, there are people who've been your friends for years, you love them, you care for them, but they're not helping you grow the way that you want to grow. Now, they may not be taking away either. I'm not saying that these are like bad right. friends, drama friends who always got something going on because we always got those two. And I've been that friend who's always had something going on. I don't think it's about ditching your friends and like 
finding better ones, right? I think it's more about you, you know, adding adding more people to your life that align with your values and and align with the direction that you want to go. I just think for for me personally, I'm just so grateful that and and kind of what has transpired since I've decided to, you know, start the economy conference, my support system is just it's so strong and has has allowed me to kind of make some big decisions that I'm sure we'll get into later. But being able to lean on those really smart people to help me analyze my finances when I'm making certain decisions, like I'm so grateful for them. I love this because it's making me think about uh, what's in your life portfolio, which I'm going to ask you about. But I like to think of a a life portfolio as the various people. And let's just go with people because it can be a lot of different things. But the various people who help you trend upward even when life generally may be going down because life is all peaks and valleys, very much just like the stock market. Mm-hmm. And so I think of an investment in my therapist as, as kind of like an index fund in a way where, yeah. <laughs> where, where even when things are taken, generally always going to be going up. And then I've got a uh, a leadership coach. And then, you know, of course, I've got Bay. And then you know, I've got in my, my friends from home. I've got the various mastermind groups that I'm in. I've got conversations like we have set up where we actually have a, a recurring connection point, even beyond the podcast, just yeah. to check in with each other. And so uh, I find things like that in the life portfolio are really what kind of compound and, and and lead to some of these awesome things that are happening. And you mentioned uh, the mastermind community of sorts. And I'm curious, what else do you think of as as part of your life portfolio? Yeah. So I would definitely say, like, I know I'm going to harp on events, but Camp Fi, I try to go to as much as possible. I love the people that I meet at Camp Fi. And so for people who are like, what is like, what, like, where do I find that? It's just C-A-M-P space F-I and Camp Fi is, for people that don't know, what is that? It is um, a weekend event that they have multiple times a year, all different locations across the country. And it's a much more intimate event than economy. Economy is like a show. It's like a one day performance kind of thing. Um, Camp Fi is much more intimate. It's a smaller audience. It's around 60 people. And you're like at a retreat center for the weekend. And there will be different presentations, but it's much more like sitting around having, you know, impromptu conversations with people about topics around personal finance. Um, And you just you just meet incredible people when you go to these things. I'm also in a mastermind group with a woman that I met at Camp Fi. She invited me to her mastermind and we meet every two weeks and, you know, we kind of trade off who's in the hot seat. I would also say I have a friend that I do long distance hiking with every weekend and we actually call it church because we spend, you know, five, six hours hiking along, you know, different trails around uh, Cincinnati and we just talk it all out. It's like our therapy, you know, we, oh, it's like nature works on us while we're walking along the trail for, you know, 12 miles or whatever it is. And we just work out all our stuff. So yeah, mine, I would say my, it's mainly people and the way I use my time. So um, healthy habits as well. You know, you mentioned Jim Rohn earlier, and I have a quote from him that I um, have on my computer right now that I tapes on my monitor. Your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. So not, not only am I surrounding myself with the people that I admire, but I also... Um, 
feel that I've invested a lot in personal development. I have um, a morning routine and certain habits. I quit drinking. I'm like eight months into stopping drinking. So I I think those I I would put into my portfolio as well. Um, The things I kind of do on my own. Not drinking. I'm also part of uh, that that team and club. And I feel like I should know this, and I've asked you this before. You were previously an athlete, right? Or you've played sports? You might be thinking of when I walked the Camino. So I walked the Camino in 2017, and that's a 500-mile trek across Spain. And it took me 38 days to walk across the country, which is insane. But I was not like athletic before that. I wasn't a big outdoorsy hiker person before that. That trip kind of made me into (laughs) an outdoorsy person. What made you want to do that? I think it was just, I don't know, a very early midlife crisis. I, you know, I had an aunt that did it when she was in her 40s and she recommended it to me. And that's actually what prompted it. It has a lot to do with my money story because I wanted to do it for my 30th birthday. I think 30 is kind of this reflective time where you think about what the hell am I doing with my life? You know, and, you know, I just, yeah, I, I had this idea that I wanted to do it, but I didn't know how I was going to make it work. I was 30 grand in debt when I was 28. I had been really focused on my career and the idea that they would give me like two months off to go do this crazy thing seemed like an unreasonable ask. So in my mind, in order for me to go do this crazy thing, I needed to get out of debt and save as much money as possible. And it, it was a it was a huge motivator for me. I ended up getting out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months. And then from there, started saving about 60% of my income. And but it just how? changed everything. But how? I would say that it, it really started with a mindset shift, right? The recognition that my money can either buy me stuff and, you know, going out every night in New York City out to dinner and drinks. And I wouldn't say I was much like, you know, buying, I wasn't into shoes and purses and clothes and that kind of thing, but I did waste a lot of money like going out. And (laughs) so, yeah, I had my twenties, let's just say that. And when I came across the Mr. Buddy Mustache blog in the fall of 2015, I like to say it was like a refreshing punch in the face because I'd never heard someone talk about money that way. And I think I had the realization that I thought my problem was income. I thought if I could just make more money, that would so- that would solve my debt. That would, you know, but I... I came to realize that my problem wasn't so much income. It was much more money management and not really understanding where my money was going and not really valuing debt freedom and like what my money could do as far as compound interest if I invested it. And I also just thought that I needed a lot more money than I actually did. Like I had to test that assumption. You know, you think you need millions upon millions of dollars to be like financially secure. You don't need, a lot of times you don't need more money. You need enough money. And when you start to question what is enough, it might not actually be as much as, as you think it, you know, before you examine that assumption. It was it was really a lot about reducing expenses. At the time I was also getting pretty good raises and I just did not let lifestyle creep come in. How did you fight it? Because How it got I... me. It was lifestyle creep guy. <laughs> it it done got me over the years. Even because it would be and I would flip it into I deserve this. Like this is why I work so hard so that I can have these things. Well, I think the thing is 
we have been conditioned since birth to be consumers. So of course you thought that way. But I think for me, I started questioning that assumption that, you know, when you learn about the hedonic treadmill and the fact that a lot of that stuff that you're buying that you think is going to make you happy, it doesn't, it, it doesn't last. And you're just on this like hedonic treadmill of buying more stuff, having a little blip of, you know, the endorphin rush from it and then moving on. Me having that realization that that's not sustainable and actually discovering that what contributes to my happiness more is autonomy over my time, the relationships with the people around me, and creativity. I can actually check all those boxes without a lot of money. And so that realization for me led me to be a lot more resourceful with how I was spending my money and realizing that I had a level of creativity and resourcefulness that I didn't even know I had. So like, for example, I was crazy. I, you know, I started hosting these like clothing exchanges with my friends who were much more fashionable than me. That was so much more fun than like just mindlessly shopping online and clicking a button and buying something, you know, like, we would clear out our closets, have an afternoon with like music and mimosas, try on each other's clothes. And I walked away from that experience with like a closet full of fashionable clothes from my friends in a lot more fun and resourceful way than just like mindlessly spending money on stuff. So it was that kind of stuff where I, I just, anytime I had a need that would be easily fixed by just spending some money, I question it. You know, can I borrow something? Do I actually need this? Do I have something else that can solve this need? And just going through that mental process of slowing down and not automatically swiping a credit card really showed me, you know, that my needs are a lot more minimal than I would have originally thought. This is part of why I asked you earlier if you're an athlete, because I found, and I know it's not all athletes and not all, well, have you, and you've done sales, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. I'm, I'm trying to make this work. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fit my bias here because I've got this thing. <laughs> <laughs> because, because uh, I, I have this thing that there are folks who have done certain types of roles or have a certain type of disposition. So, for example, athletes, folks who are used to structure, rigor, training for a goal, they understand that what you do today isn't for the result today. It's for what you're doing down the road. And you're talking a lot about mindset. Uh, I know that we've had that we've eclipsed some similar milestones in our own personal journeys. And uh, I'm I'm curious, like, where does that drive come from for you? Because not everyone thinks that way. And I've noticed just even in talking to you, like the book recommendations, the quotes, I'm like, yo. I'm like, Diana is a freaking treasure trove of like useful (laughs) information (laughs) that uh, is also the type of stuff I believe in. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious, where does that come from? Again, I think it was a mindset shift for me recognizing like a lot of people don't value, let's say, you know, saving for retirement, especially when you're in your 20s, because it just seems so far away. And you think the benefit of all that work isn't going to happen for 30 or 40 years. And I think somehow I recognize that actually I can get that benefit a lot sooner and not just from this whole fire stuff with, you know, saving a very large percentage of your income and then having the ability to retire early. Like, yes, I guess that's one way of moving up the timeline. But I saw that by saving and investing and kind of like getting long-term savings over with, that it actually opens up a lot of bandwidth now. So like, for example, 
I reached what's called Coast Fi. So that's when you have enough in your retirement vehicles, so your 401k, your IRA, your HSA, that it is going to grow to what you need in 30 years. So I'm 34 now. So what I need in 30, 35 years for traditional retirement, if I don't put one more dollar into it, it's going to be what I need for traditional retirement. That actually huh. opens up a lot of freedom now because now I don't have to be... I was putting away $29,000 a year in my retirement vehicles. I was fully funding them, which less than 10% of all people do. So let's talk about that for a second, though, because there's the traditional 401k, which most people think of as like, that's the primary thing, Well, which, which it is if you have a mm-hmm. job that provides one. And so that's... I think this year's limit was like nineteen five. Yep. But what I did not know is that you can actually go, there's like some much higher limit you can go to for for what you can tuck away for retirement savings. I want to say it's like $60,000 or- It's like 50 something. I think it's 56 or 57. Yeah. And that's if your employer offers a Roth 401k. So the 19.5 is what you can get that's pre-tax. pre-tax. So you get that tax reduction. But if your employer offers the Roth side of it, you can actually contribute after tax money, just like you would do with your IRA, um, your Roth IRA. You can put that in a 401k um, and let it grow tax-free. That's something that I've I've started doing too. I made the painful decision this year that I'm going to start using my performance bonus for work and just like put that that chunk yep. right against my 401k. So I max out pretty much at the beginning of the year. And mm-hmm. then for the rest of the year, it's all after-tax contributions and trying to get as close as I, I can to that 50K number, whatever it is. Right. Now this Coastify or Coastify, I feel like I feel like it's one that I haven't heard as much about or it's not the hottest thing. So I want to talk about that some more because for me, some of the other versions of FI, and I can't name them all, I'm kind of like, yeah, not for me, not for me. Like, yeah, that sounds great. Most people aren't going to have the opportunity to be able to do that. I want to be able to live today. These are probably a lot of like the common retorts that that you hear right. from people. Yep. Whereas this one feels like it does allow you some of that freedom today. It allows you to kind of, it's almost like reaching a level on the path to FI. It's like if you think about maybe level one is like getting out of debt. Level two Mm -hmm. is funding an emergency fund. Level three is like having FU money, which is another stage that I've reached, which I define as um, a year or two of of your expenses in cash or like a highly liquid thing that you have easy access to. Yeah. And then getting to Coast Fi. So what this means is like you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit if you want to. You've reached a level of savings where you've you've checked the box of a certain financial goal. And so to me, it means like maybe you still need to work. You're not financially independent now, but you could trade to other work that's maybe more meaningful to you that pays less. You know, you, you just really have to worry about meeting your expenses. You don't have to worry about savings as much. You know, because you've got your fully funded emergency fund, you've got your FU money, you've got your COSFI money. The saving part of your financial journey, it's like you've already kind of done it. Now, things change, right? Maybe you decide, okay, I'm going to get married and I want to buy a house. That's a new savings goal that now you have to account for. But for the most part, people that are on the COSFI journey, it's like they've just allowed themselves to relax a little bit and just worry about covering their monthly and yearly expenses. Now, in the process of talking about this, we've said the word saving a few times. And I've also seen the quotes of, you don't save your way to wealth. 
You know, you, you might have seen similar things. It's all about the additional income streams and, and this and that. So how do you balance that saving aspect of it versus the constant talk of wealth generation? And I guess in some ways it's automatically implied because the money you have in there, you know that it's going to continue to grow. But yeah. that doesn't but that doesn't sound like so if you just put that in there and it's continuing to grow, that doesn't sound like active continued wealth creation as far as everything else. Does that make sense? I think it's all a balance, right? To me, wealth generation is is really rooted in the gap between your income and your expenses. So yes, you can develop other income streams and I'm absolutely exploring that. I think I have this like financial runway to take on some risk and actually experiment with things that might not pan out. That might not be money makers, but you know, I'm I'm curious about them and I have the financial bandwidth to experiment. But I think the the root of it is really that gap between your income and your expenses and having the habits in place to continually take that gap and save and invest it. If you don't get those habits in place, then you can develop as many income streams as you want. If you're spending all of that money, you're not generating wealth. Got you. The habit piece, the uh, intentionality, Just I'm just listening to some of these themes that you're speaking and, and there's a whole... There's still like two or three things I know we wanted to talk about that we're going to have to do in a separate episode. And one is super interesting and, and gets into negotiation and a contrary perspective that I think we got into a productive, I'm not going to call it an argument, but a productive where I actually said, hmm, I think I want to talk about this on the show. So we'll definitely make that happen. But uh, it's been fantastic having you back on the podcast to talk more, even about some of the mental side of money, I know, uh, and, and even how that relates to some of the tactical, because I think what has been clear through this conversation is there's always a why. And and I don't know that we're always as good as we can be. We're not. I'm not as good at this about defining our why before we start taking action, because a lot of times I find mm-hmm. that We jump into things because that's what everyone else is doing, or that's what we were supposed to do, or this person is really inspirational. And so because I admire their journey, I'm going to try to track and follow their life as opposed to uh, ultimately doing what works for you. And I find that people drift and get off track when they don't have kind of clear values and they don't have clear goals and they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing and how that's in service of them. Uh, and of course, we've all still got things to uh, figure out, but I, I just love how you've connected that throughout the conversation, the role of intentionality. Well, I appreciate that. And I'd also point out to anyone listening to this that the why can always change. Like, mm. I think about the last time I talked to you, my life looks so different in ways that I never could have anticipated. Because again, life is constantly throwing me opportunities. And so there are certain whys that have popped up in the last year or two that I didn't even know were wise for me when I put out my financial plan, right? So I think having this like attitude of flexibility, or I I like to call it flexibility, right? Being able to kind of like adapt to the things that life throws at you, both good and bad, um, to you know, have the financial bandwidth to handle that and be able to seize opportunities as they present themselves. It's a great reason. If your reason, if your why is just options and flexibility, that's a good enough reason in its own. Like, 
sometimes I think my why of why I'm so, you know, good with my finances is because I want to have bandwidth to figure things out. I want to figure out what I want and I don't really have a clear understanding yet. And so having the financial bandwidth to experiment has been my why at many points in my journey. Yeah. And there's freedom in there too, right? Because even having that opportunity to experiment in itself is freedom, which is something that I'm really big on being able to do what you want, have the life you want. And freedom is going to look different to everybody. And and I think you're kind of speaking to that where there are so many different ways, but if you commit to taking a a series of steps, chances are you're probably going to land somewhere along the path in the direction that you ultimately want to be going. Yeah, I don't think anyone gets to the end of their life and said, you know, I shouldn't have saved so much money. (laughs) I don't I don't know that that happens. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I could see I could see and it terrifies me to the point that I don't want to be this person, so I won't allow it to happen. But I could see someone getting to the end of their oh, this is getting grim. So we're we're gonna finish with something positive. I could see someone getting to the (laughs) to the end of their life and being like, I wish I lived more, or like I wish like I took more chances. Like you hear people, unfortunately, say that type of stuff all the time. And I don't want to have any regerts. Yes, regerts. Right. I don't, don't want to have any, any regerts around stuff like that. So it is possible to both live today and save money and also build wealth, but also without it being an extremely stressful process. Yes. And I think the the litmus test for this is how much of your life feels like it's rooted in, in deprivation, right? At what point are you feeling lack? Maybe then you've taken it too far, right? If, if you feel like you're, you're, um, pushing too hard, like maybe that's something to examine because I do think that it's possible to enjoy the journey as much as you think you're going to enjoy the destination of becoming financially dependent. I don't think the benefits of FI are reserved for the finish line. I think we can start seeing those now, but that's an intentional decision. I want to ask you six other things, but I'm not. So <laughs> so we're moving toward the wrap. But uh, as I've said a couple of times, this has been dope. And we're definitely going to talk again. Uh, as far as economy and what's coming up there, where people can get tickets, all that good stuff. I know they can probably look right in the show notes, but I'm going to let you uh, give them that plug. Give them that plug. Well, you know what, Rich? I don't know that we... Um we even gave the big news that, okay, so Rich Jones, the man himself, is going to be speaking <laughs> I didn't know if I could on say the it. main stage at the Economy Conference. You guys cannot miss this. When I say that I want the speakers to be as entertaining as they are informative, of course, Rich checks that box. Appreciate so that. very excited to have him join us. So if you're interested in the Economy Conference, go to economyconference.com. And remember, that's an economy with an M-E, not an M-Y. There you can read about all the speakers, including Rich, but you know him already. You can check out the schedule and the programming and just get all the ins and outs of the event. And you can also buy tickets there. Now, if you're listening to this, I want you to know that for the next two weeks with the code paychecks, all caps, paychecks, you can get 20% off your tickets, but for the next two weeks only. Get it. So hop on there um, and grab those tickets and we will be partying with you in November at the University of Cincinnati. Love it. And also, I'm going to make that extra simple for people. You can go to paybow.co slash economy, E-C-O-N-O-M-E. I think I spelled that right. 
Did I spell it right? I think so. Okay, yeah. I got it. I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. I'm making, Link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Click in the show notes. I know you're probably driving. You're not even going to... I'm just wasting valuable time. Diana, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a blast. And I'm looking forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. Thanks again to Diana for coming back, dropping some gems, and for having me come give a talk at the Economy Conference later this year. Can't wait to do that. And again, to get 20% off for the next two weeks, use the code paychecks at checkout. And as usual, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share. And once again, don't forget to vote for Paychecks and Balances in the Plutus Awards by visiting paybow.co slash nominate. Again, paybow.co slash nominate. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully with my voice since I tend to lose it whenever I go to these conferences and events. So until next time, do something dope.